Welcome to Do Better Research, a learning-focused podcast about research methods. My name is Dr. Suzanne Albury, and I'll be guiding you through research methods to become a better researcher, both for academic study and professional practice. In this, the first episode of Season 4 of Do Better Research, I talked to Janine Marriott about her experiences of undertaking a professional doctorate with the University of Hertfordshire and working with community and friends groups as part of her research and professional practice. So Janine, thank you for joining me uh, on the Do Better Research podcast. It's fantastic to have you here. I really appreciate it. And I know this kind of came out of some discussions that we had around actually podcasting more generally, which is um, was a really interesting, really interesting workshop. So would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? I'm Janine Marriott. I'm doing a professional doctorate in heritage at the University of Hertfordshire. Um, uh, but that's part time. And I'm also the public engagement manager for Arnesfell Cemetery trust in bristol in the uk oh wow so that's so you, is your phd around some of the work that you're doing for the trust or is it separate? no it's it's completely linked um so uh i've been working at the trust for 13 years now and when i first started i was the only person doing a kind of public engagement role as far as i could fa- find in the whole of the uk and i looked around for resources and kind of information about how to do kind of heritage stuff in a cemetery and uh, there wasn't anything out there. And because I've been doing it for a while, other cemeteries would come and ask me questions. And I'd say, well, there's nowhere to direct you. So it's just me. So eventually I thought I should write some of these things down and find out what other places are doing. And, and historic cemeteries doing public engagement has increased a lot. So I thought, yeah, this could be the time to do a professional doctorate. So I went looking around for, well, I went looking around for a PhD initially um, and then I realised what a professional doctor was and I was like, no, that is that would work better for what I'm thinking about. So that's really interesting. So I haven't um, on the podcast previously, we haven't really talked to anyone who's doing a professional doctorate. So what are the kind of key differences between a professional doctorate and a PhD, what a traditional PhD? So the, the, the word count is the same, but the way you do an output is different. So you can do your output as all sorts of different things. So some people do it as a um, as a piece of art sometimes. Some people do it as like a podcast, all sorts of different ways that they put that, that out there. I'm doing it as a set of case studies. So I've got my kind of half of it is going to be sort of more like a profi- professional PhD. And the other half is going to be a series of case studies, which hopefully they can kind of be pulled out by different organizations that don't necessarily read in an academic way and use them in a useful way so that they can um, kind of uh, sort of look at, oh, this is what this cemetery did. We could apply this to our cemetery or our, our trust or our, our, our organization. So that's the idea. So it's got quite a lot of the outputs. Obviously, the output is important in both of them, but the outputs in the, in the professional doctorate are actually as important or possibly kind of more important in a way than a sort of a, a traditional PhD. At the end, everyone still gets to be called doctor, so it's still the same, <laughs> same, same cool title. But um, yeah, it's, it's about how you do that output and, 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 and the engagement with kind of your peers, not necessarily academic peers, but your peers within your work context is, is, is important and as important. So it's really about that application and, yeah. and application is all uh, public or, or sector engagement. Yeah, definitely. And I think that applies to pretty much all prof docs. So there's people doing it in nursing and they're actually working something out and then testing that in, 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 a, in, a, in a physical real world concept, context. So, for example, with, with mine, 
I've been delivering a few talks to um, organizations, um, so historic cemeteries, on practical things like how to get guided tours going or um, delivering talks and that kind of thing so that they, so these other organizations know kind of how to do it because there isn't kind of any how-tos out there. So it's mm. got this, this really practical, really um, real, uh, real life application quite quickly um, rather than maybe with um, a, an academic one. It kind of has to filter out of the academic world into into the into the the, the real world as well but um, i'm kind of within the real world automatically so i'm kind of putting it out there a little bit faster but yeah the output can be all sorts of different things and that can be part of the thing so i have like a portfolio of different things that i've done um that will you know will go into into the doctorate but yes it's kind of the same length but in a different format well, that's really interesting i think that it helps blur the lines between the, what we can think of as academic research and kind of applied research as well. And one of the things that I wanted to ask, do you have to do like a, the same traditional, like a literature review? Do you have to sort of go through the same motions of getting ethical approval, all of that kind of stuff to actually pull together your kind of secondary research and then start doing your primary research or is it is it completely different no absolutely you still have that traditional element which is the lit review and um yeah and the the all the ethics stuff and took me quite a while to get my ethics because even though I was interviewing people who wanted to be interviewed as part of my research um and they 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 were all consenting adults it took quite a long time to to communicate that that they were they were quite happy to give this information over and they're quite happy to talk about it so yeah it was just very much the traditional ethics um ethics um uh, way that you would have with with a standard phd so yeah those bits are very much the same and those those safeguarding things are are, are still in place um and i suspect with kind of medical ones very very much in place but uh with with the, with the heritage one, it's it's luckily for me. I'm kind of talking to people who I already know in a professional context anyway, so I already have the contacts that I can talk to them. But obviously, I still have to apply the same ethics rules and um, safeguarding of the data that I've I've I produce and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's traditional. Same in that way. It's just the kind of this the second half. I mean, you can also still do it as a purely kind of academic exercise, but the the encourage the encouragement of it is that it's professional doctor, so you should be putting it out there and applying it as as much as you can, as quickly as you can, really. Mm. So yeah, I attend a lot of conferences. <laughs> I can imagine, and not just kind of your traditional academic conferences. I can imagine you go along to professional organisation workshops, conferences, talks, that kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. So um, so for example, I'll be in September speaking to the Association of Significant Cemeteries in Europe about some of my research. Um, and making contacts there and that kind of thing. So that is uh, has got an academic element, but that's also cemetery managers, friends groups. So they're not just traditional academics. So that's a really good way of kind of disseminating information and also making a link with with the, lots of different organisations because most historic cemeteries aren't aren't their public engagement isn't run by a by a staff member or you know a, a professional heritage person a lot of it is by you know cemetery managers who management is their main thing or friends groups and i think hopefully the the research i'm doing will be really useful to to friends groups to help them understand how to generate income which is actually really important but how to best ways of kind of engaging people things like using social media and that kind of thing so i'm kind of looking at best case uh, 
uh, sorry, try this down. I'm looking at uh, historic cemeteries that have done some really great public engagement, how they did it, why they did it, and what was good about it, and kind of mm. lessons learned, and then passing that on because. Um, a lot of these organisations are quite insular, so they just look inwards and think, oh, we've got this fantastic historic grave or we've got this important monument, and they kind of tell that story. But if they look outwards and think, how could we tell it better? How can we talk to more people? And I've got some ideas, also some suggestions from other historic cemeteries, and that's what I'm doing. I'm putting it, putting it out there in the world so people go, oh, right, so I see that York Cemetery did this. Excellent, I will. we will try that kind of thing. That's really interesting. Can I go back to something you were talking about in ethics? I've got, I just got a, a kind of a question that popped into my head about you talked about speaking to people that you already worked with. Were there any particular ethical considerations you had to make by doing your research and talking to people for people that you've already got kind of an existing relationship with? Were there any kind of specific ethical considerations you had to make or had to highlight as part of your application? Hmm. Yeah, so um, obviously once I said to them, right, uh, because I said I made these connections uh, through my professional working relationships before the PhD, I would say, right, although, you know, we chat about stuff, this is now going to be recorded. Therefore, I need you to sign a form. I'm telling you how long I'm taking keeping this recording for. I'm telling you how I'm going to put it out in the world. I'm telling you how long um, um, I'm going to keep. Yeah, so how long I'm going to keep it for, but how, how I'm going to keep it. So, uh, the way that I keep that data is in a, it is in a password protected file, like you would with any other project. So it's it's it, it's quite odd because obviously these are people that I chat to, and they say, right now we're putting this conversation on a formal footing, and these are the ways I'm going to do it, and that's because this is now and I've done this ethics form, and they've signed it. So a, anybody who I've been chatting to anything that they, 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 we, we chatted about before I've asked them for example to say it again but within the recording context that I did so it's it's very much making sure that um that they, I mean they're safeguarded in the sense that um a lot of these historic cemeteries have got some quite difficult histories of the saving of the site so there's there's implications about naming people and things like that so when I've done my case studies I will be going back to those interviewees and just saying, right, here is what I've got. Is there anything in here, a name or a person that I should not be referencing, that I should be giving a pseudonym to or just taking out entirely? Because a lot of the, the saving of historic cemeteries and the management of the sites have been a bit tumultuous. Uh, so it's really important that um, nobody particularly somebody who might have been a volunteer in the past is not kind of named and shamed in a negative way. So when I've done it, I will be going back to them saying, I need you to affirm that this is true, that I've understood it correctly, but also that this isn't going to like hurt anyone's feelings, what I'm saying. So there is one site I've interviewed that um, they will, it will be completely anonymized. So I'll probably be referring to it briefly rather than referring to it as a full case study because it's almost impossible to to hide these the mm -hmm. histories, the his, historic cemeteries, and if you know so, know that site, then you'd be like, oh, I know exactly where that is. Um, so yeah, that that's it's it's about protecting the people telling the stories as well, and also protecting people within those stories. I think that's a really good point, isn't it? That particularly about going back to the people that we've we've interviewed or the people that have, have have given us all of this information, and just checking one that they're happy with what we've how we've represented them, but two, we've represented them fairly and correctly, isn't it? It's yeah. such an important balance. Yeah, it's really important balance. And um, 
Um, it's it's not necessarily just about um, making sure that it's favourable. That's not the point, but it is definitely making sure that the, the, the understanding is, is is truthful. And obviously, I'm about going to be having known these sites, maybe trying to put my own kind of biases and spins on things. So it's making sure that I've really properly understood that, that conversation that we had. So the way I did my interviews is I had set questions, but if the interviewee just went off and just talked a story or told told the you know how the cemetery was saved or how the friends group was started I would just let them let them go so they're semi-structured interviews so there might be things that have been missed that I find in a later bit of research that I add in that I that might be incorrect because again a lot of the stories are almost kind of oral history with a bit of stuff that's online and it doesn't necessarily mean that the stuff that's online or the stuff that's in the book is necessarily true because sometimes it's produced by people who are not historians or people who have a bias. So it is really, really important that these that it's as truthful and as honest, but as also as impartial as it can be. Mm. I think that's a really good point, particularly when you, you're talking about the idea of stories and stories are very personal no matter what what they're about you might not have been involved in the story itself while it was playing out but you've heard it and you've taken on particular meanings so that's quite an important part of unpicking the information that you're given isn't it yes definitely it's it's again it the the interviews I'm doing I'm doing with one individual and there are obviously other opinions within maybe organisations and there, some historic cemeteries have had big fights with local councils. And if I'm interviewing the Friends group, obviously I'm going to get a very different view from someone from the chair of the Friends than I am necessarily from the council member. Mm. But obviously I can't, I, I don't have the capacity to interview all those people and a lot of these things happened in the past. So I'm then obviously taking the interview and then also going and looking at news articles or uh, books or whatever. So I'm trying to get as balanced a view, but then I go back to the interview and say, this is what else I found out. How can, uh, can, can you check it and, and let me know if I've made any errors or misunderstood something in there? That's, that's another interesting thing, isn't it? Like when, you're, when we think about doing interviews as part of our research, we think about a specific event point in time where we sit down either across from or online or something with our, our participant, have a conversation and then it's done. And we might check on the kind of the write-up, but that's about it. But you're talking more about having a dialogue going backwards and forwards about including other information and getting corroboration and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, because these stories of these, his, this, his, the, most of the cemeteries that I'm um, using as examples opened between about 1820 and about 1859. But then they've got this history going up till today where they've been through the hands of a private organisation, a local council. Some of them have moved on to a trust. Some of them moved on to being cared for by a volunteer group, but owned by another organisation who don't really have much input into it. So, yeah, it is a, a dialogue of, to make sure that as facts are as, as useful as possible, because the point of the case studies is that people look at these and think, oh, my site is comparable to that and our journey is comparable to that and making the understand, uh, make, uh, helping people understand the journey of from you know, 1839 to now is as important as this is what's happening now. So it's about taking the past and, and seeing how it happened. So how, how a, so for example, Highgate Cemetery 
um, ended up kind of the business going to receivership and the cemetery um, being looked after by a number of different friends groups. And there's quite a kind of a muddle there of, of who cared for what and that kind of thing. So it's really unpicking that, so making it as clear as possible um, so that it's a useful it's a useful record, as useful as any remembered record can be. And it's also remembering that it, there is an there isn't always minute notes. There isn't. Sometimes it's literally coming from someone's head, and so understanding that that's the case um, is also really, really important. Oh, that's fascinating! And I love the idea of because I'm, I'm a historian by training. So I've got my undergrad, my masters, and my PhD were kind of history related. So the idea that histories are created rather than they are set in stone. There's no real such. There's no such thing really as a, a factual history because the way that we understand history is always through interpretation and how people have been, have perceived something or how they've remembered something. And I think that's really interesting. Mm. And that's why I'm not just relying on, I am, I'm relying very much on this one person's account, but I am also looking around other things and then trying to produce this as unbiased as possible. As said, it is impossible as unbiased as possible um, account of how how things happened and how things might happen in the future and that's just about the benefit of triangulating different data sources isn't it to put it in kind of academic terms in the way that we we do research it's, it's the triangulation of different data sources mm, absolutely um so i'm actually going to go back to a question the first question that i was supposed to ask you at the beginning of the podcast but i got too interested in your actual kind of um your research project what is it about doing research that you enjoy? What do you enjoy about the research process or the research that you're doing or doing research in general? I call myself um, an information magpie and I just love information. I love knowing stuff and being able to share things because that helps me build a better worldview of in my case, historic cemeteries, a better worldview of how public engagement works. So um, I, I like the research helps me make my, it helps my understanding be better and more full and more, more deep and, and, and more important. And I'm like you, I, I love history. Um, I'm a bit of a perpetual student. I did my undergraduate in classical civilizations. No idea why it seemed to, seemed to be a fun idea at the time. Um, and then I didn't know what to do with myself after that. So I thought, oh, it's fine, I'll train as a teacher. Everyone says I'm very bossy. Um, so I'll train as a teacher. And so I trained as a teacher, again, with a kind of um, a bias on music and history, but primary school teacher. And I loved, I loved that, but I wasn't that keen on the paperwork. And then I was with my class one day and I was in a museum and I was like, oh, and I obviously love museums and cemeteries and all these heritage spaces. And I was with them and I saw this person being a heritage professional in front of this group of absolutely entranced children I was like ah that's what I want to do I want to tell people the stuff that I know but in a cool way and that's that's it it's this magpie thing of I want to know things and then share it with other people I'm a little bit obsessed and so then I did a master's in museum studies um, and then kind of worked in museums for a bit ended up working in a historic cemetery eventually which is where I go and I tell people fantastic facts about the people that are buried at the cemetery and the landscape and the buildings. So again, it's this kind of getting this magpie information and then sharing with people because I'm just so excited about it. And then of course, the, 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 the professional doctorate was, oh, now I can tell people about the things I've learned in my, 
in my work and then help them be, you know, know better things, do better. And, and, and they want to know these things. So yeah, I'm very much a, I'm, I'm, I think I'm a natural teacher, but I'm also a natural kind of, I want to know things and then tell people stuff. Overly enthusiastic probably is another word for it. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's overly enthusiastic. You're definitely demonstrating your passion for it. And I think that's the really nice thing about the way you've described doing a professional doctorate. You get to learn things, but then immediately tell people rather than a, maybe a traditional PhD where you've got to learn, you, you're learning and developing these ideas. And like you said, sometimes that doesn't, the dissemination, the, the kind of real impact doesn't happen till after you've graduated further along the line when you've kind of disseminated through journals and it's kind of filtered down in other ways. Mm. You're getting to put it out there straight away. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, I really I really like doing that. And um, that's one of the reasons I said I go to conferences, academic and, and sort of professional, but um, professional within the sort of heritage world or the cemeteries world, because I get to tell people lots of different things. But then, of course, they tell me stuff. They say, hey, do you know about this so-and-so cemetery? Have you heard about that project? Or do you know about this? And then it's a really... I think the professional doctorate makes a really good conversation where you're finding things out, but you're telling people stuff and, and it's back and forth and people will suddenly email you go, oh, have you thought about this or can we collaborate on that? And it's a really, I think it's a really healthy way to do academia, which I think sometimes a traditional PhD doesn't always do. I think there's quite a lonely element to some mm. tra traditional PhDs, which I think the professional doctorate obviously doesn't really you know you couldn't do it in in a vacuum almost you have to go out there and talk to people so yeah, you have to be you have to be doing the job to be able to do the research to be able to mm. talk to people to get those responses I love the idea that it's it's a collabor almost like a collaboration between these different networks that you've, you've built up and mm. and kind of the the toing and froing and mm. the networks that you've built have they been primarily built in your professional work or have you found them since doing the professional doctorate and they kind of now feed into your your day job as it were both absolutely both so I had some networks um within the within the cemetery world but actually it's quite a lonely world there's not that many staff who um, work in historic cemeteries and often they don't really talk to each other so actually um, doing the professional doctorate has been brilliant because it's definitely absolutely opened doors for me and I've been able to say right I'm doing this um, I'd like to talk to you about that and and people if they know that you're kind of hopefully going to be using that information and putting it out in the world will want to talk to you more and I've made some brilliant and wonderful contacts in the academic world that I absolutely would not have come across um, just working in a, in a historic cemetery they're not um, even though heritage tends to be a, a quite an outward looking profession and academically it's quite outwardly looking because obviously they're working within heritage organizations you just wouldn't you might read the papers or you might you know might see the books but there's very unlikely that unless you were working on the prof doc you would be talking to these people or um, possibly collaborating with them and and so it's definitely definitely a, a way of blending those networks together but also building those networks and, and making them better I mean I'm actually trying to make a historic cemeteries network that meets online every few months it's a little bit difficult again because a lot of heritage staff and volunteers work in different days in different ways and heritage tends to be quite a um a precarious 
job mm. um they're often your um often like it's like three days of people work three days or a few days or they work like two different jobs so getting finding times when everybody can meet and chat online can be a little bit tricky but it's been really useful so hopefully I keep building this network and kind of connecting different organizations with each other and we can just learn from each other so when we have network meetings we'll have like a, a theme so it might be interpretation so interpretation panels like um you know the kind of thing that says this is the grave of so-and-so they did this or you know audio things or guidebooks and leaflets so we'll have a, a chat about that and share things and just say we did this and we did this and this is here, here's our idea so i know very much that um uh i know that uh, a cemetery up north um used the map that honest fail has um for for their 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 versions they were like they saw our map they saw how we didn't they went yeah we want one of those so kind of and we're not competing with each other so sharing that information is really really useful sorry that was a bit rambly <laughs> no no that, that's good i like the idea that because particularly in academic spheres it can feel sometimes like there, there is a lot of great collaboration but you're almost in competition about the kind of work that you're doing because you, you, you know if you someone publishes something before you're on, on your topic before your PhD is done, there's a kind of an issue around, you know, do you include that? How, how is it? Do you need to go back and redo something? Does that change anything about your PhD? And it can feel quite competitive. Whereas this sounds much more like everyone's just looking to do the best by their site. And that includes sharing information as widely as possible because you know you're learning lessons from everybody else and it's much more kind of um i don't know maybe a a kinder community or a more kind of collaborative community definitely yeah is i i would say that was was definitely the case and i think that because you're kind of working from the point of view of your own specific organization something that someone else is doing isn't necessarily going to have an influence obviously mm. there are certain things that I'm not I don't share because obviously they need them to go into my into my into my uh, my writing into my dissertation so I, I wouldn't be sharing everything but I I am quite I, I go out there sharing quite a lot because I know that nobody's going to be writing for example nobody else is going to be writing a case study of honest fail that's going to be me no one else is going to write it. There are other documents, other academic papers already out there about Honest Fail Cemetery, but they're not quite the same. So that just adds to that body of knowledge. It doesn't um, cause, doesn't kind of make people think, oh, you're writing about that. Well, that, that's bad. So, uh, for example, I spoke to an academic a couple of weeks ago who is really interested in Honest Fail as a community landscape. And yes, that's kind of similar to what I'm writing about, but hopefully... <laughs> we wouldn't be writing the same thing. So mm. it, it's not that um, it was stealing each other's ideas or anything like that. So that, yeah, it, I would say it's quite a kind of community because also it's, it's another, it's sort of quite a lonely community because we do work in these kind of in, individual sites. So when we come back, come together and chat, we're just sort of sharing ideas rather than saying, right, I'm going to write a paper on this. So you're not allowed to kind of thing. Mm. It's not, it's not like, it's not like that. So yeah, it is, it's really interesting. So it is a definitely, Prof Doc is definitely more collaborative and more, it's more sharing, I think. And I mean, I might, I might get myself in terrible trouble at some point by talking to somebody about the wrong thing and them thinking that's a great idea. I'm going to write a paper first because I'm full-time and they're part-time and they've got time to, they haven't got time to write it, but I don't, 
I don't think so. I don't think anybody else is quite as keen and quite as obsessed as I am. Because <laughs> there, there is, for example, there is, as there's also already PhDs out there written about Abney Park Cemetery, which I obviously will um, reference, and about um, Crossbones Graveyard. But neither of those um, are something that I would think, oh, okay, that's, that's going to stop me writing about those. I'd just be writing about them in a different way. And you talked you talked at the beginning about the ways of dissemination. So you're you're going to these kind of both academic and professional network, uh, academic conferences and professional network groups. You're um, you're developing these case studies that you're hoping to disseminate once they've been written up and you've completed. What other differences do you think there are between a kind of traditional PhD and a, a prof doc, a professional doctorate, in terms of disseminating your research and this idea of like sharing sharing the knowledge? I think um, I think one of the main ways is because obviously with pr- pr- um, traditional PhDs, you kind of rewrite the paper, you put it in the journal, it takes probably two years to get that from, from start to finish. Um, and obviously there will be those as well, but that takes such a long time to filter down into... The community that would find it useful. I can guarantee you that there's very few friends of cemetery groups in the UK that are going to go looking for academic journals or even can access them because obviously there there's no access unless you have a university login or you buy that particular journal or that particular paper. They're just highly unlikely to come across them to be honest with you but if you were able to for example I spoke to, um, to uh, as part of a conference for a, a charity called Caring for God's Acre, and they work with historic cemeteries and graveyards about um, and help them um, manage their sites, look after them, run public engagement events, all that kind of thing. So they're a very um, on-the-ground charity, and I spoke to that and said, this is how you run a, a public tour. This is how we do it on our site, and these are suggestions from other sites. And at the end, I'll put a little bibliography on my last slide and say, if anybody's interested, here are some things you might want to read. And they'll be like the more high level academics. So you're kind of starting from the bottom up and saying, right, here is here is the basics. This is just a talk. This is very simple. This is how we suggest you do it. But if you want to read some papers or read some books, here is extra information. So it's sort of leading um, um volunteers and, and staff members towards an academic thing rather than taking it from the academic and trying to, to feed it downwards. Mm. Um, and I think also um, uh, uh, putting things in, into books that is quite useful. So I've got a chapter that I've written about Arnas Fayer, which is similar to the case study that I'm going to be writing, but not quite the same, that's going into a book called Museums, Death and Heritage. So that will go to So heritage professionals might use it. They might not be doing PhDs or masters, but they'll be working within museums and galleries. So that's kind of putting that information in at a mid level. um, If you if you kind of think of academic as higher, Mm. which is obviously a weird hierarchy, but there's the best way to describe it at the moment. (laughs) But you know, heritage professionals who might they'll be staff members, but they won't necessarily be academics or working in an academic sphere so mm. that's more accessible again so it's I think the prof doc allows you to be more um agile I suppose is the word you use for, you could from 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 business they say being an agile um you know, being able to to change and, and disseminate I think is 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 the big difference there and because it's prof doc you couldn't help 
but talk about it because you're also embedded in that world and doing that job. So unlike with a traditional PhD, particularly a full-time one, you're kind of just writing away. You might pop to an academic conference and say, here is my paper. This is what I'm working on at the moment. But it's not the same as just going to another historic cemetery and saying, oh, let's have a tour and a chat about what you do. And you tell me about what you do and I'll tell you about what I do and we'll get ideas from each other. I like that. It's so much. Yeah, like you said, it's it's agile. It's so much more flexible. And you you're starting from... And I know that this the idea of the hierarchy is problematic, but you're starting from you're disseminating from the bottom up rather than the top down, hmm. which is, I think, is a really important way for those kind of community groups to feel ownership over the work that they're doing and the the kind of the information that they're getting. Right, so they can they can take that information and really make it their own in their own context, rather than being told kind of from an academic perspective this idea of the ivory tower what they should and shouldn't be doing absolutely yes and also I, I, I generally don't even think that they would have that kind of contact most of those organizations would necessarily have that kind of contact there are a few that may go to academic conferences particularly retired people who kind of volunteer at historic cemeteries and they they've been in you know they've been in sort of uh, white collar working so they're they're like um teachers or engineers or something so they're still interested in kind of getting that kind of um the kind of knowledge they might have got in their working lives but they're not that common most of most of them are people who are just passionate about sight absolutely love the site and absolutely want to share that information or care for it or whatever so they never they just never would even consider thinking oh I might go to the death and death and culture conference in York in September it's not something that to be honest with they would even find out about because you'd need to be within that academic sphere to know that that exists it's not just going to be like on the BBC by the way if you happen to be interested (laughs) in it's not gonna it's not gonna appear so it's because these are quite kind of closed worlds that there's no no way that they would ever ever find that out, even if it would be really useful to them, or it might be. I think you've just inspired me to petition like the BBC and the, the news websites to, to do a, like a little three minute segment of if you're interested in X topic, there'll be a conference at it in Birmingham in, in March Why not? 2023. I think, right, that's my next little project. I think I'm going to for, force academic conferences on primetime news um, <laughs> good luck yeah so saying it out loud maybe not such a good idea um anyway Janine thank you so much for talking to me that's been fantastic it's been really really interesting and it's particularly interesting I think um and for my listeners to, to talk a little bit about a different style of PhD I think it's been really really valuable so thank you very much thank you it's really nice to chat about it 